say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but what if those intentions were more sinister from the beginning? I'm Nikki B, resident pop culture expert, here with utopian history expert Danny McCarthy. We're going to take a deeper look at the sci-fi movies that we love and see if maybe what we always thought were warnings were really blueprints. Join us as we pull at the crimson threads in our beloved cinema. Welcome to The Road to Hell. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to The Road to Hell Film Review Podcast. This is, I think, episode number four, if my counting is correct. This is episode number four. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, My name is Daniel McCarthy, and I am joined by Nikki P., and we're doing what we do. Here uh, today, we're going to be talking about the film *Strange Days* from 1995, the year of my birth. It's not a uh, not a Doors biopic as you would expect. That's yeah. I was confused at first when you mentioned it. Isn't that the like Johnny Depp Doors movie? Is that what we're doing? There's a Johnny Depp Doors movie. Well, he he narrates a documentary, and I'm pretty sure that's okay. the what that's the *Strange Days* one. <laughs> I'll have to look into that one. It came out not that long ago like maybe seven years ago the the doors mind you like getting into the history of the band and some of its members i mean there's definitely some tie-ins to the things that we would normally talk about so that's true (laughs) you know but we'll save that for another conversation right yeah because we could certainly go fairly deep into that it's a very controversial band in uh i guess alt media circles absolutely you know, when, when, when your dad's a general in the uh, U.S. Navy or whatever it was, of course, uh, of course there's going to be some questions. Yeah, and uh, especially considering the circumstances of his, his admiralty, like Vietnam War. <laughs> you know, particular Gulf of Tonkin, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, anyways, I, I pitched this movie because it's, a, it's an interesting movie, and it uh, it kind of touches on an angle that I don't think we've addressed in a lot of this. Um, it, this movie could have been made differently, and it would have been a very different kind of movie, having almost every almost nothing change. But the the idea that this movie's main tenet is that technology is the drug really really interested me, and. To give people the idea, the basic movie is you had an ex-cop who is kind of, his life has not gone the way he wanted to for whatever reason. And he uh, has, he's now in a position where he's kind of a dealer for this uh, illicit tech. And the illicit tech, essentially what it does, it allows you to relive, like it's, they call it the squid, I believe it is. They put it on your head and it basically pumps into you moments of somebody else's life so you close your eyes and then you just experience what somebody else has already experienced and while it is just a very you know simple almost like trite sci-fi movie in a lot of ways there's a lot of really potent ideas in that particular framing that i really liked so i really wanted to hear what uh, danny had to say on this one yeah well the definitely the drug parallel was I mean they didn't even try to be subtle about it which they don't need to be it's it's certainly come to pass in real life in a not so subtle way the relationship between like the way human beings interact with technology being a pretty tight parallel to the way they interact with drugs the movie of course didn't you know, 
it was made in 95. And so they didn't predict things like smartphones or whatever we actually have. But instead, they, I guess in a way, they made the technology symbolically more overt than it really is. Uh, you know, people live vicariously through fiction and stuff. You watch TV, you watch movies, play video games, and you could argue that you're sort of living vicariously through the characters. That was always the something that I remember teachers, for instance, uh, that's something they would say about books. You know, you can travel anywhere with a book, that kind of crap. Um, this movie just said like, all right, well, let's take that concept of vicarious living and make it literally true. And people become hooked to this idea of never really having to leave their house and uh, just basically living other people's lives. Uh, and it's not actually like living the mundane parts of their lives. They live like a good 20 minutes of people's life, which is then put onto a disc and then you can trade it on the black market. So like you can uh, live a really intense like robbery or something. You don't want to actually rob anyone, but you want to get that experience. So you live the life of a robber for a half hour or whatever. Or I'm just saying maybe something along the lines of like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> to reference another movie. I know, I was going to say, you know, you don't really have the right to your own personal experiences. And if the technology exists, don't you kind of have a duty to uh, to share those glorious experiences with others? It, it was an interesting through line to me to consider, like, wow, like being able to live other people's experiences for yourself apparently has been, like, a big part of this for a lot longer than I've, I've thought about it. Because there's a there's a... A big year difference between, what is it, 95 and 2017, I think was that when the circle came out. And they're still, they're still salivating over this concept, you know, 20 plus years later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the medium of delivery is slightly different. The circle is, you know, slightly more realistic as to what has actually manifested because it came later. But I think the drive is ultimately the same thing. It's essentially, boy doesn't having an animal flesh and body or flesh and bone body kind of suck gee wouldn't it be nice if we can just kind of let the imagination take over and let our emotions be fulfilled without having to meet biologically necessary tasks that's what this movie really hits on i think and of course it's no mistake that the surrounding world is a complete shithole you know it's a totally dystopian society no it's not really clear anyone's running the show there's crime. It's a police state, effectively. There are troops on the street by the end of the movie. But uh, it actually went in a direction I didn't expect. And I like that. At first, I was kind of assuming that it would take the Soylent Green kind of formula where, you know, you're thrown into this dystopian world and there's this strange technology floating around. And then at the end, you learn that, oh, it's this big corporation that's behind everything. And I was expecting that as the movie played on, we would get more about the history of this technology and find out that it's some grand conspiracy by some evil corporation. And I liked that it wasn't that. I liked that it kind of went in another way. Instead of having this really ornate conspiratorial formula, the movie was basically just like, nah, dude, you know, if there's a conspiracy, it's just the conspiracy of chaos. There are all these various interests playing against each other in a terrible society all conspiring to like make life more miserable for everyone. You know, there are these two cops who murder an unarmed black man, right? Who happens to be like the biggest rapper in the world or in the country. They murder him 
and it's recorded, you know, unknown to them at the time. Then they find out it's recorded. They kill everyone involved. So that's their interest. But then there are like other interests going on. You know, <laughs> at the same time, there are all these parallel antagonisms occurring. And I don't know. I, I appreciated that it wasn't some tidy conspiracy, but rather it was just chaos. And that's a lot of what I like about it. Because uh, I mean, we're, so well, we talk about this as being like a a drug. There's also a degree to which, like, we're we're also dealing with like a memory extension technology. I mean. The it's like in in one sense uh, the main character manufactured his own drug as he's reliving moments that he'd had with his ex who now you know is with one of the main antagonists in the movie you know there he he was just reliving the moments that they used to date it's like let's think about how another perspective even something as simple as just like being able to extend human memory what what kind of effect that does that have on us I know there was that Black Mirror episode where essentially everything that happens in your life auditorially and visually gets put to a hard drive. Think of all the shit that you like need to forget psychologically to move past. But imagine if you there was ways to extend that beyond what was useful to you as a person. Right. Well, and from, in my opinion, and I think it's fairly, I think it's probably on purpose, the, the like best character in the movie, as far as like on human terms, the best person is Macy, the main character's buddy. She's like kind of the, the female lead. Um, <laughs> Angela Bassett. <laughs> yeah, right. She's she's the best person. She's also the most overacted character in the movie. I love oh, her she, death, yeah. but the, God, she's pouring on all of that like all of that craft that she's got in theater and <laughs> oh, and when you're introduced to her and she's like kind of this bad bitch kind of character, yeah, yeah. but then suddenly she's like beating up four dudes. I'm like, all right, whatever. But <laughs> that's fine. I can accept all of the. Options. But I guess if you think about the kind of world that they're in and what she does for a profession, I imagine she probably would. You'd probably have to be a bad bitch to get that job. I mean, yeah, like it didn't seem like driving around people at night is probably the safest profession out there. So you learn to fuck a motherfucker up. I guess so. Yeah. So for people listening, she's a limo driver, which. <laughs> Turns out to be a really high risk profession in uh, 1999. What city is it in anyway? L.A. Probably. I don't recall if they ever really said. Yeah, I don't remember either. But it, in case we didn't mention, I don't think we did. This whole movie takes place like December 30th and December 31st, 1999. So as everything that we're talking about unfolds, it's on this backdrop of the year 2000 is coming and the world's going to end. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of everyone's. Everyone's really high strung as 2000 is approaching. Everyone wants to party, but they're also kind of like, oh, well, this is the end of the world. Well, it's, this is the end of the world party. <laughs> right. It's the idea. The, the, what uh, Maisie, Maisie or Macy says regarding memory, because she's not into this squid thing at all. She doesn't like to be hooked up to this machine. She only does it once because she kind of has to for the plot to go forward. But her whole thing is like, look, memory is supposed to fade. It's We're not supposed to keep reliving shit that happened to us years ago and get stuck in that. She's like the organic tether. She's the only organic human being like still rooted to the ground in the whole movie. And that's why I liked her so much. Like she's this sort of beacon of hope, at least for the small circle of people that are actually in the movie. She's the like last real person. Yeah. Well, and so one of the things that this uh, particular movie didn't see is in a lot of ways the stuff does exist currently. I mean, look at your cell phone. Uh, the idea of, like, from a political level, the idea of how many videos have been caught on cell phones by bystanders watching somebody do something that they shouldn't. 
and how that plays into our society. Like you're, this, you're seeing that in this movie. Like, oh, she just happened to have the squid on because she is kind of there to keep tabs on this rapper for the label. But you know, how many people just oh. I'm, I'm here. The smartphone's always unready to catch the moment when a cop does something bad. Right. Yeah. You, you almost can't help but think of the sort of George Floyd type of thing. Exactly. Which is very. That's obviously what I was thinking during that scene. It's not. You know. Obviously, in the movie, it's more over the top than in real life. But yeah. Damn. You know, like this. This is the kind of thing that we deal with now, where a, a cop does something absolutely heinous, and whoops, the world saw. You know, and in the movie, it winds up turning into this. Well, it, it's an, it's interesting the way that that particular aspect of the plot unfolds with the like uh-huh. the racial thing going on there, which was, that's a whole other element to this film: race, race relations, black and white. Well, and especially at the time period that this movie came out, obviously you had like the LA riots and all that stuff that was heavy on people's minds at the time, which we managed to forget about until you know until the the pandemic times again. <laughs> Right. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, the pandemic times is uh, 90s 2.0. It's like a strange retrophilia. Anyway. It's, just working, <laughs> it's working us into the 70s 2.0. Yeah, right. We're just going back in time. We're going to relive all the terrible tropes of each decade. God, if, it, <laughs> if that doesn't feel honest, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, homegrown terror. It's back. That narrative is back anyway. But... I want to talk a little bit about the racial element because that's another thing where I didn't, at the beginning of the movie, I didn't really expect for that to be such a central pillar. Not that it's like beating you over the head with the concepts of like race and racism and stuff. It's just, it's in there. It's definitely undeniably in there. And the Maisie character, she's a a black woman and her, motivation is it seems to be like she's seeking some kind of justice uh because the main character uh nero he through a long sequence of kind of cat and mouse i guess detective kind of stuff comes into the possession of this tape where the police are killing this unarmed black rapper and so which he could have had in the very beginning of the movie if he wasn't a piece of shit (laughs) right right of course it's through his own character flaws that he doesn't have access to this thing when he was supposed to, which winds up getting a fairly innocent person brutally murdered. So, before we get too far into the racing, I want to point this out because it's interesting to me. This is, a, I would say, like a classic pulp sci-fi kind of story. Like, it, it, this is, there's, it, it does not at all feel... Like, on the surface, like, this movie was supposed to be kind of calling out all these horrible things in society. You know, it's just kind of, let's, let's, let's have a, a new cyberpunk movie, is what it feels like. But you also look at the names <laughs> that signed on to this movie. Like, one of the, the, the one cop who does the killing is Vincent D'Onofrio, and I don't think he has two lines in the movie. Mostly, he said it was just grunting. Your main character is Rafe Fiennes. Um, Angela Bassett, like all of these are, are high profile, you know, A-list actors in what I was just, what is the most pulp of movies. And so when you mentioned the racing, it's interesting to me, it's that when they saw this script, is there, are they seeing the same kind of things that we see where it's like, yeah, there's, there's the, the pulp narrative of this story where it's, you know, 
just like you know any other stupid 80s 90s sci-fi movie but if you dig down into it i mean there, there's a lot of commentary social commentary uh going on in this movie like if you just take scratch one one little iota b below the surface that you start to see yeah well you know it, it was made in 95 and i think that if you were going to make a movie about you know the the looming end of the world or at the very least the end of society you'd probably say like all right well what are the sorts of tensions that are closest to the surface in present day society that with just a little push would really bubble up to the very top and i think race uh would be an obvious answer back in 95 and maybe now too you know because they like you said they just had the riots and there was the whole oj thing before that which caused a lot of racial tension it, there's a very helter-skelter kind of uh, spirit floating through this movie where as everything's going on with this technology, the, the technology is itself playing an interesting role regarding police versus black justice, you know, because it is ultimately this technology which winds up in a very in a sort of indirect way meeting out justice to these two cops who killed this guy uh so no i mean it's it's absolutely it's it's that moment of somebody caught the cop with his knee on the guy's neck and w once you get that out to the world and the world sees that then you know what does that become which is why like they're they're being pursued the whole time so the cop knows it happened he can try and keep it from getting out and but there's also the concern, you know, where they've got to find the right person in the obviously corrupt police system to get this to so that actual justice can be met. Like, I think they're also trying to play it safe and that they don't like the, in today's day and age. I think the obvious answer is just get the fuck out to the people as quickly as you can. But I think they're trying to like they thought that if they. If that it was approached from these cops were on the loose, it would have started riots. It would have been the, the thing that really set everything off. Because that's the, the feeling you get from this movie is the whole movie, you're kind of waiting for everything to just fucking explode, blow up, and just kind of go crazy. And it never does. In that very last moment, they've kind of got like their, their romantic moment by the car or whatever at the end. And it, and it lets the tension off. But this whole movie is like everyone is under pressure from a million different angles. You know, it's it's the societal pressure. Like Angela Bath's character's got kids, and she's like afraid. She she's afraid of this, you know, drug technology that whatever it is that he he's going to corrupt her kids, and she doesn't want them living in that world because she's seen what this this kind of living did to her husband and that kind of shit. So it's a uh, it's definitely interesting looking at the parallels and in, in how you can kind of pour on and let off the gas with a society, depending on how things just come out and who gets that information and when. Yeah, I think that maybe this is slightly, maybe it's more than slightly an oversimplification, but the basic idea of that the movie, as I saw it, was trying to get across was essentially technologies turning the entirety of society into junkies and as they become junkies the society around them falls apart because no one's taking care of it and in that chaos that will naturally arise 
all of the tensions that people have been either trying desperately to just barely scrape by and and not have come to fruition or people have been ignoring all of those tensions are just going to eventually bubble up and there's going to be chaos in the streets because no one's paying attention anymore and by the way all throughout this whole thing people are going to be chasing after some kind of forgotten long lost idealized past which will never be realized again because they're trying to realize it through technological means by the way the ex of the main character's name is faith and she's lost (laughs) she's lost to him she's a fallen woman she's like i leave it to you buddy you're the one that sees all this (laughs) she's uh is juliette lewis the daughter from uh Griswold Christmas Vacation. That's how I'll always know her. But okay. uh, <laughs> she's uh, she's his ex, but she's this like cigarette smoking punk rock kind of singer in this like really dirty gritty music scene. She's uh, hanging out with this record label guy who's a complete junkie on this technology, a real shitty dude. And so that's the that's fake. Did you ever play the game Cyberpunk? So I mean, all, I, I'm, and I'm talking the pen and paper RPG type. I, I, me and my buddies used to play in high school and stuff. And eventually, they made a video game version of it. I think that was one of the most hyped video games of the past decade that came out with a lot of bugs because that's what AAA game plus gamers do these days. <laughs> the reason I asked is, I mean, this movie—it's just—it it is like the classic '90s cyberpunk setting. I mean, all of this stuff has been talked about, talked about movie after movie. Like they, they, the nineties was was a big conversation. Did you uh, notice who the director was for this? No, I missed it. So I did some research on that because it amused me. I, it was a woman first off, and I found that to be interesting on a couple levels. And then doing digging a little deeper on this particular director, it's James Cameron's wife. Oh. Wow. Okay. So I want you to take take that and think of who James Cameron is and what James Cameron has produced over the years and think that this is what his wife was making. Jeez. That's really interesting, actually. Has she, what else has she done uh, else along mm, these lines? I didn't, I, I didn't look and see everything she'd ever did. She doesn't have as many credits as he does. And there, she's got pretty well-rounded credits from what I can what I could actually see, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, she that, that that was that was interesting to me because you know it's obviously James Cameron who's a guy who's always kind of been on the forefront of technology, and he I mean he's the uh, Terminator guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's these people clearly were in that whole cyberpunk milieu. So I want to know which of the which of the guys like the Kurzweil types that we know were they around? That was feeding them the, these ideas because so much of this is like when you when you start seeing like oh well, they're connected to them well I know they're connected to the so and so here yeah but that's where you start getting outside of my depth like I I know this is movies because I love this stuff as a kid but you, the historical tendrils like where does where does that go from there right now I'm wishing I got more into that element of it um. I mean, there's enough interesting things in the movie itself to talk about. Like, you don't have to go the route, but it was it was something that, like, I mean, I'm watching. Like, who did this? Because this is very. Who had the ability to get that type of cast on what should have been just like a B flick? 
Right. And, and that's what set me down that path. And I'm like, I don't know this director. And like, oh, oh, she's, oh, that makes huh. that part make more sense. Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely a path I want, I want to look down in the future. But mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, and it, I don't know what this woman's, you know, personal views on technology are, but there is, despite the overt kind of critique maybe of cyber culture that the movie provides, obviously, you know, junkie isn't quite a great look. I did, and maybe this is my own kind of like conspiratorial mindset shining through, but as I watched the movie, I couldn't help but think, you know, maybe it's not so much a criticism of the technology. Maybe all this chaos and terrible, maybe the dystopian conditions of this world aren't in the few in the film's presentation so much the result of the technology itself, but rather man's inability to rise to the occasion of dealing with high technology. Oh, so even even more interesting, uh, Catherine Bigelow is the director. Okay. Um, the story was actually James Cameron. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, this is big news. So this is like this is like four years after Terminator Two, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like Terminator. You don't really, or I didn't get this sense that I got with with uh, Strange Days. That it's like, why is the technology causing so much trouble? Is it the tech or is it human beings? And the movie kind of leaves that question unanswered. However, however, as the whole movie is kind of overtly telling you, oh, this technology is really dangerous. Oh, this is really bad. At the end, the technology winds up being that medium through which justice is delivered. It's because of this recording technology and it's because people are able to capture moments that ultimately the the cops, the bad cops are arrested and then you know eventually brutally killed by well one by himself and the other by the rest of the cops and so it's like in the in the real world it's like we're confronted with this problem where on the one hand this all pervasive technology is dangerous and addictive and it's melting our brains and turning them into tapioca but on the other hand well the world sees George Floyd get killed and well, isn't that a good thing that this kind of thing that would have once happened in the dark is now being brought to light and all this stuff? Kind of like in the circle, you know, where it's like, oh, well, we can track down this murderer. Isn't that good? So the, the film leaves it on that note. The whole thing is like tech equals bad until the very end. It's like, but wait, maybe not. And then it's over. So I'm looking at her. There's some interesting things that in here. I think the first thing I see her at it was like a real big. She directed Point Break. Oh, okay. The Hurt Locker is is uh, she did. Also Zero Dark Thirty, which if I remember correctly, Zero Dark Thirty like won a ton of awards. That's the Bin Laden one, right? I never saw it, but I'm pretty sure that's the like. If it had shit to do with war, I I I didn't care. War's bad. Right. I need to go with it. But what I was really interesting here is especially considering the content of what this movie is about and the parallels that I know you and I would draw. In 2021, she did a video short, Apple iPhone 13 Pro, 
Hollywood in your pocket. Okay. All right. We're in business now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's really interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, being that just the obvious corporate connection that this person obviously has, Apple. My memory is immediately throwing up the 1984 Apple Macintosh commercial. The idea that Apple is supposed to be like the sort of renegade tech company. But of course, it's really seems to be the biggest one that's making this technology so ubiquitous. It popularized the idea of carrying around a computer in your pocket. It made it accessible to most people. And it made it stylish, right? It kind of removed technology from the arcane world of coding and made it into an aesthetically pleasing, simple, ubiquitous medium for for your average person to interface with. It's really interesting that she'd be making videos, uh, ostensibly commercials, it sounds like, promoting this product, which is kind of the real-life version of the the terrible squid technology in this movie. Well, what's funny is that, so we're looking at the squid technology as being a terrible thing. To me, the most analogous thing to it is the, it's the feed of what people choose to put out of their lives. There's the element of, you know, what moments are you going to choose to wear the squid for? You're going to want to show off your life. You want to live the good life. And so I'm just thinking about, like, if the mo- only moments that you keep are the ones worth remembering for some reason or another, what, is, what does that do to the psyche of, of people? And what is, if, you, if you go down the path of looking, well, if these are the moments I'm keeping, what's with all the other moments of my life? What are they worth next to these moments? Everybody does that to themselves. Everyone does it. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, the the fake persona. We talked about it in the circle that everyone lives and puts out into the real world. This is kind of like precursoring that and saying, like, well, they were that they're kind of calling the thing that is everything that we do in daily life a drug. <laughs> that's the way it's treated. Right. Everything that's not being recorded is, I guess prep time for when you are recording uh, because everything is about tailoring a certain kind of experience which like you said we saw in the circle your the, the the subject the person making the recording is knowingly doing so for an audience and it's kind of like the snapchat filter or the instagram story thing or whatever it's called you know where you basically edit a portion of your own life and then make it accessible to the masses which gives this, I guess, false sense of reality, really, where, you know, life is something that can be perfectly tailored and made to be inorganic and synthetic, but perfect, because all of the fluff and all of the stuff is cut out of it, and whatever the purest form of the experience desired is, it's captured technologically. But I'm also interested to find that this, uh, the director woman, you said before the Apple commercial she was involved with uh, some military movies uh, that intrigues me because i think we all are well aware of the fact that the defense department the pentagon and intelligence agencies they uh often like fund movies and will even like have agents for lack of a better term work on films and like approve what gets put out and they will advise what ought to be how a storyline ought to be presented and how certain Mm -hmm. materials and technology ought to be presented so that right there indicates that at least 
later on in her career, there's almost unavoidably some connection with like literal government agencies. I don't think you could make a high budget military film without having some army dudes standing over your shoulder. Like that's not a thing. Well, and we know James Cameron has that in his past as well. Right. If I remember correctly, I've like, isn't there like stories about James Cameron's house where it's like this, the most insane place in the world. Like everything in it is, it's all next generation, um, centralized control like the smart house times a thousand or some shit see it's that kind of thing that makes me wonder when i watch a movie like this like okay but they're presenting the tech in a somewhat bad light in fact if if i were just like the average viewer i would kind of just interpret this as like a anti-tech movie almost you know Mm -hmm. be careful beware beware but then you dig into what these people are actually doing and they're like they're super pro and, this exact and, t- and, and, and what is the core thesis of our show? It's like, you watch this stuff on the surface. It comes across as a warning. But then, inevitably, we end up going down the path. And strangely enough, those people that have been warning us about it always seem to be connected at the far end of things, too. I mean, uh, you we, we, we'll talk about, like, this, this is all kind of like part of the cyberpunk movement. And... All those cyberpunks uh, were all really, really interested in cybernetics. Yeah, big time. And, and you look at you know the think tanks and the government organizations that kind of got blossomed out of that world. And then where we end up now, we end up with the Klaus Schwabs. We end up with you know just the entire transhumanist movement. Um, it, you know, like this is a fairly early peak, I guess, at some of the stuff that was going to come. But uh, uh, you were, when you were talking about crafting uh, lives, um, we, hadn't, we haven't really talked about the the rape-murder like thing that was going on um, with, uh, obviously, it's supposed to be his best buddy in the movie who actually is fucking around with him, and he's the one that's actually been killing, <laughs> killing strippers or <laughs> prostitutes <Right>. and... <laughs> kind of leading him on this wild goose hunt. What are your thoughts on kind of like the that instinct or that desire that someone would have to kind of push this kind of technology in that direction? Well, I think that that's probably an inevitability, you know, because that's just what people do. You find the, the most extreme and arcane possible use of a tool and, and do it and apply it that way. I mean, I'm I'm in Cleveland here. We had uh, was it we a couple years ago the the Facebook Live killer dude just <laughs> Facebook Live himself murdering somebody. Right, right. That's what people uh, are going to do. And so, like, you know, we're we're sitting here recording this uh, as Elon Musk just bought Twitter and free speech and what people are allowed to say. Content moderation is a big a big conversation everyone's having, and. You know, they were looking at it as like a peer-to-peer sense, but what the technology ends up being used for is more of a broadcasting sense. Right. And when somebody in power, I use the term loosely because a a killer, maybe he doesn't necessarily possess political power, although maybe he does. But even when he doesn't, it's like, all right, well, this person is still exercising literal power when they're doing what they do. That is killing. And so when a person is willing to exercise extreme power and then broadcast it, I think that that's going to have 
it's an unavoidable effect on people in general. And now whether that is like a sort of programming effect to get people to want to mimic that sort of behavior or whether it's a kind of aversion that occurs where people are like, oh, that's terrible. I want to stay away. Either way, it's going to affect individuals. But, you know, this is a debate that's been raging for, for decades regarding violent movies, violent television shows, and now, of course, violent video games. Is this kind of it, playing Grand Theft Auto? Is this going to encourage children to be more violent or is it going to be an outlet so they become less violent? And this is something that the main character talks about in the movie before the whole like rape murder thing happens. Mm -hmm. Before it gets too extreme, he's like, no, you know, this technology is great because it allows people to like live the life of a, a murderer without actually murdering someone. And so whatever animal impulses they may have, well, okay, that's satisfied now. They can go about their normal lives. Of course, Ooh. meanwhile, society's collapsing. <laughs> it's like, it seems like maybe that's not actually what's happening. It seems like people are just getting those, those rushes of emotions and then living in that fictional world Ooh. rather than this idea, this almost myth of the, the outlet for, for negative urges. And I, I, I go back and forth on this because, well, I'm, I'm not like someone who wants to censor violent media necessarily. No, well, not at all. And yet I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, if we just gave everyone violent video games, society would kind of clean itself up. And, you know, uh, in this movie, we're presented with this problem. Well, by, by the numbers, I mean, how many Call of Duty games are out there now? Oh, I don't even And where, where's murder? Uh, is it on the pot, uh, positive or negative? Well, not counting COVID stuff, I think it's probably down. Very, very negative. Now, is that standard of living type uh, down or, you know, what causes that? Who knows? It, it's interesting to me that it seems like we have all this technology that allows us to kind of dig in, find more of the reality of life. And we, we, we have more vision and more visibility than, you know, we've ever had before. But the, the more ability we have to see into and inspect life, the more fake life becomes. Be, and, and that's because we, we, we approach everything with an editor's mindset. No one wants to be transparent. And so all we can do is make life more fake by trying to capture more of it. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if that's necessarily any different than it ever was. When I mean, you write a book about, you write an autobiography, you keep the good shit, leave out the bad shit. But the, because it's so visceral, being auditory and visual nowadays, is it more affecting than it used to be in the past? I think probably because the audio and the visual are affecting systems in the body and in the brain and the mind that are not explicit or like immediately conscious systems, you know, flashing lights. Like you have even more of a feeling of being with that person or whatever it is, whatever story narrative that used to be a good story, you could kind of trick yourself into believing for a little while. We're almost in the opposite where you have to remind yourself that this isn't real. Yeah. And in the movie, you know, whenever people go into the squid verse, they're, um, you, and uh, except for people who are like veteran users who kind of have built up a tolerance, it's, like using heroin, it seems, you know, like people, their eyes roll back and they're, they're completely immersed in the experience. So that suggests that this is having some like 
mental and physiological effects on the individual that aren't just like reading a book where you can be very soberly considering what you're reading. This is a hypnotic state that people are being washed with, essentially. And, you know, we know that looking at flashing lights and screens and stuff and listening to certain frequencies, lulls nearby neural beads. Right, right. You get lulled into certain states. And so that's why I think that this technology that we're confronted with now, audio and visual, we can't, it can't help but be more affecting because it's playing to systems in the body that we're not even consciously aware of their behavior. Yeah. We don't know what the hell this stuff's doing to us. If only you were recording your life at the time, we could go back and... Apparently not, because apparently I was actually be recording my thoughts at the time, and that's... One day. Give it time. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, how, how much different is the Neuralink from the squid? Like, none of this technology is not happening. So I guess that was the big thing. So as we're talking about, we haven't talked about the living the other experience. Um, I had you watch that uh, James Corbett documentary on transhumanism. What is the first video he shows the uh, the noob in the movie to get him hooked? What what what, what is he what is he watching and experiencing there? Oh jeez, I don't remember. I don't remember. I have to go back and watch you're it. An, you're an 18 year old girl in the shower. Like he hands it to, the, to this. I would assume probably a banker or some shit. You know, some guy in finance and a man. And, and the first thing he hands them is this ability to step into the body of a young girl. Yes, you're right. You're right. It's a lawyer. The guy, the lawyer with the tassel shoes. Right. Yes. He, he puts, <laughs> Jesus. Right. Of course. Of course. Look at the, oh, the internet is this wonderful tool. Sure. But like, what is it primarily? It's a porn medium, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, most of us have joked for a long time that, like, what really drives technology is the porn industry. Oh, yeah. The more, the more realistic you can make porn, the better off. Well, and it's amusing as you look at, like, it wasn't Curseful the one who, like, was really, really into, like, a lot of the sexual stuff in the, uh, in that whole movement. And these, you know, they're having all these big, th- his whole thing was, the ability to like be non-gendered is one of the goals of all of this. Yeah, well, he's I've got a book back there by Ray Kurzweil called "The Age of the Spiritual Machine," and in that he talk it's like goes beyond lust for this guy. It goes beyond satisfying base animal instincts. He says that there's coming a time where technology and AI will become so sophisticated that your computer essentially will be able to actually know you better than any other human being possibly could. It'll know everything about you. And so, because of that, we're approaching an age where the only possible way for a human being to ever experience true love will be to fall in love with their computer, essentially. Because who else knows you that well? It's the only thing that you can truly have a connection with. So this dude's talking about falling in love with machines. Which, by the way, which is, let's, let's just address, is a very modern concept. This, the whole fucking idea of true love. Mm. I'm more of a perfunctory love kind of person. <laughs> but uh, the the yeah, the idea, I mean, that's what, only 200 years old, the idea of quote-unquote falling in love. Everything in history has been arranged marriages other than that. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that, that almost speaks to how quickly new ideas can like push people, push society, like, how quickly. 
So we went from the idea of true love to eventually, oh, well, the only person that's ever going to be able to truly love you is your computer. Now, mind you, we've definitely crossed the Rubicon on computers knowing you better than you know yourself. I mean, we, we've all heard stories about, like, the, the you know, teenage girl who starts getting right. the, uh, you know, shit like that. So, I mean, that, we, that, that part of things has actually kind of already come to pass. I guess maybe there's a certain degree of how much do you give into it that we, we need to address. Right. Well, and the world that I live in is me and people like me who are fairly resistant to this sort of thing and aren't like eager to sign up for every new thing. But I've encountered people out there and it's, it's always surreal for me because I forget that these people actually exist. But there are people out there who are like first in line for the new thing, technologically speaking. Like they want the Wi-Fi in the car. They want the Bluetooth in their refrigerator. They want every single new thing that comes out the day it comes out. And they're, yes, I agree to being tracked and traced and monitored and algorithmatized and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I I almost, it's funny because you would almost need like a kind of virtual reality machine to do it. But I would like to, without actually giving up all of my information and everything, I'd almost like to be able to step into the life of someone who has done all of that stuff just to like feel what that world is like. Like uh, having a smart home, for instance. I don't know what that's like, but I know that it must be a fairly fundamentally different experience from the way I'm living with my house. And it's only going to continue to be more different, I think. The idea that you're going to be able to communicate with your home and with your car and actually do things with with the communicative ability, that's just not a world I live in. And I I wonder as, as the technology becomes more and more ubiquitous and more and more sophisticated, the difference in experience, how's that going to be different between me and someone like that? We're almost to the point where, where we're living different lives. Here's a, here's a simple, um, analogy, not even simple analogy. So my car has lane assist. Uh, it has, uh, what do you call it? The, dynamic control like dynamic cruise control mm. my phone my my car will tell me hey maybe you should pull off to the side of the road you're driving erratically get a coffee um my my car will for you know lengths of time drive without me driving it like it will p- put me back in lane if i start swerving because i'm falling asleep at the wheel shit like that i've made it back to cleveland from pittsburgh entirely because of like those particular technological advances in my vehicle. Now, I ultimately give up control of my vehicle to those things in, in many ways. But given how my lifestyle has played out in certain ways, it also has been, it's kept me alive, let's put it that way. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's like as awesome as that is, I also understand that I'm giving up control of my life to a machine. Well, you know, if his truck had been equipped with the technology you're talking about, Mercer never would have died <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that's real i yeah we've had this conversation in in our our little discussion circle with uh the university group with brett vanat and his ilk uh his cohort you and i have been involved in discussions talking about the the trade-offs between like safety and safetyism versus autonomy Mm-hmm. Right. And it's true. Like, yes, this technology will make people safer. But is the human being a creature that is fundamentally destined, for lack of a better term, to pursue safety and nothing but safety? Is that why we're here to 
make life safe? And it's not immediately obvious that the answer is yes, despite the fact that many people would immediately say yes, or at least their actions imply that that's what they believe. Well, and this also kind of was interesting because this there's almost a sort of uh, contradiction in a lot of people's perspectives on this. Uh, if you are, believe like Elon Musk does, that we have a huge population collapse problem coming, then safetyism is probably pretty important because you want to keep the people alive that you can keep alive to keep human race going. What's interesting is the number of people that would probably not believe that, think that we have an overpopulation problem, and them signing on to keep more people alive. Seems like a not issue. But I would also argue that a lot of those people that say that, what do you actually see them doing? They're more concerned about vaccines and things like that, that on net perhaps aren't keeping people alive as well as they should be. Yeah, well, and of course, all of this, be it medical technology or be it the, the sort of tech, the, I guess entertainment technology would be the wide umbrella under which I would classify the tech in, in this movie. Um, all of it, I think, leads to a generally a general softening of human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, the less time you spend in the world, the more time your your body and your mind, I think, are, like I said earlier, kind of being turned into pudding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not good, in my opinion. <laughs> I have a very puddingy body here. That's very true. <laughs> We're humans. You know, people, our ancestors used to friggin' wrestle lions and shit. Uh, you know, we, we are we are built fundamentally to incur risk and injury and then to heal and to pass that information on. But fundamentally, we are we are earthlings and animals with a mind that is, I would say, somewhat unique. But nonetheless, we are still tethered to this planet. And there is a sort of existence that human beings have that's tied to this planet. And yet nowadays... Because, and for a long time, our technology has been playing this progressive game implicitly, whispering into our ears saying, hey, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were like kind of not earthlings anymore? Hey, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't need to be like that animal meat sack that you carry around? Wouldn't it be nice if the mind could transcend the body? It's this little devil, this technological devil whispering into our ear. And I'm not even saying that it's necessarily an incorrect position, but I'm what I am saying is that people, a lot of people, we really just seem need to, to think not more than we do. <laughs> right, we're just not even having the conversation. It's like, well, maybe we are like a visceral, primal being, and maybe we should stay that. And mm-hmm. that's got other implications of itself, of its own, that maybe aren't so great. I don't know, but that's the conversation I want to have, and. Um, you know, I did an episode for, for my show uh, a couple, I guess a couple months ago at this point, uh, talking all about technology and stuff and transhumanism. And I played this clip from a Terrence McKenna talk, who's obviously like huge transhumanist guy. And he says explicitly, he's like, look, this is the point. The whole point of human existence is to transcend matter. There it is. And how do you do that? Well, you upload your consciousness into some kind of basically nanobot cloud which turns you into a cosmic being that was his position that's what we're doing that the whole the goal of progress is to transcend material existence i don't want to be a cosmic being i can say that much well i would i would say you can't be 
I mean, even if you even if you could, like, I'm not I'm not going to sign up for that. It's <laughs> so clear. Right. It seems like I don't know. It seems like a scam for one thing. Mm-hmm. But this idea, like, you can upload your consciousness into a computer one day, and then you can transcend death. Like, even before we get into the cosmic being stuff, this the next step of transhumanism. Kurzweil talks about it. I think McKenna probably talked about it too. All these dudes talk about uploading consciousness. Musk, you know, the neural link. In that same episode I mentioned, he also mentioned one day we're going to be able to upload consciousness onto hard drives. And I'm like, okay, I don't know that that's consciousness. I don't know, whatever you're pulling out of me, I don't know that the result in that computer over there is going to still be me or my awareness or anything like that. Because Well, it's all based on the fact that at least part of us is electronic. It's electronic impulses being transferred on a very... A very well conceived of network inside of us, but we don't know that that's all it is. I mean, there's people I think that want that to be all there is for sure. But um, any any last minute thoughts you want to get out on here about this movie? Like in general, I thought it was it's a fun movie. Like some whereas uh, Midsummer was a lot to get through for me. This one just is just a fun romp, and I, I think I was actually surprised at how long this movie was. Yeah, and how like. I never really felt like, oh, this movie's going on forever. It's just like, oh, wow, I can't believe that took that long. Yeah, that, that stood out to me, too. At first, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is like a friggin' marathon movie when I just looked at the time of it. But when the last 10 minutes came up, I was like, aw. You know, like, I want it to be longer. It's one of those movies where it's just running from beginning to end. Like, shit just keeps happening. The scene's constantly changing. and There's just a constant movement, which... Is deceptive in that way. Yeah, it's fun. That's that's really the way to put it. And like honestly, a lot of like I said before, I didn't at the beginning see where it was going to go, but like the big reveal of his buddy being the bad guy, like I I called that pretty early on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even still, it they was paint fun. him that way like, pretty early on. Like he's just a skeezy guy. Yeah, you could tell. You like could I, tell. I wouldn't don't know that I would have necessarily painted him as like the murderer. But I definitely would have painted him as like someone who's trying to lead him in the misdirection. And, you know, they've got a few moments where they actually show how he was misguiding him in various ways. And right. And so that one of those moments is, I guess, the one point I do want to make sure we get into the the record here. Uh, he suggests a conspiracy. So our our hero, Nero Lenny. He's uh, trying to put together who's the killer, blah, blah, blah. And his Who's buddy... Who's who shall not be named, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, his buddy, uh, who turns out to be the bad guy, says, oh, well, you know, there are these death squads out there that are basically cops who are sick of the bureaucratic slog of trying to actually deal out justice. And so they're kind of taking the law into their own hands. There are these, like, extra legal killers going around. And it's a conspiracy. And it goes higher up than you could ever imagine and blah, 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 implying that there's this like kind of totalitarian element looming in the society and cleaning up wherever it needs to. And this is part of a plot that you couldn't possibly understand. That turns out to not be true. It turns out to just be chaos. And the conspiracy theory was designed by one of the chaotic members of the the, the problem, Mm -hmm. what's going on here. It's it's just a way of distracting. It's a red herring. And what is what what is the whole thing about uh, we we like 
so many people like in the quote unquote conspiracy movement exist as nothing more than ways to poison the well. Yeah. Like are, are these people really believe this shit or are they just here? I mean, Alex Jones in a lot of ways. Um, there's like a lot of people that say like, there's the point in time when you could like trust a lot of what he says. And then at a point in time where it's like, he, it feels like he only existed to delegitimize people that might have real research on their side, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and the way he does that is often by painting with too broad of a brush this monolithic conspiracy, which is what the bad guy in the movie does. It's like, oh, it's mm. part of this one thing. Whereas, in my opinion, I don't know that this is like what's going on in the movie is a conspiracy. Yes, yeah. I would say it's just not what most people think of as a conspiracy. It's a bunch of discrete and various interests conspiring together in a disconnected way to make life terrible <laughs> you know like it's a chaos conspiracy in a way um um i mean and i've said it before you know when we when we look at the people that want to believe that there's some large christian cabal that's you know satanist cabal that's like leading the world to hell it's like to me the thing that always seems to ring the truth is like no nah, man i mean there's just really wealthy people that think about life and humanity differently because of their perspective. You know, you can only control problems at this level. Well, they can control problems at like a macro level. We can't even possibly comprehend because of their level of wealth. You know, they can they can pay countries to move and shit like that. So they're thinking they're problem solving in a different world. But because our world and our world are so disconnected, I mean, like I think the. Humans being humans satisfies all the requirements. It doesn't need to be a, an overarching thing where, oh, there's us and them, and they're all leading us on the path. I think that whether or not that's the truth, it's the truth in one way, but perhaps the ill intent is not necessarily there and the malice like we think it is. Right, right. What we get is the result of certain interests conspiring when it's convenient, and then not conspiring when it's inconvenient and yeah. a great example in the movie is the bad guy the supposed friend of Lenny he's conspiring with this record label guy until he's not you know yeah. like yeah. the whole time it's a conspiracy in the literal sense but then it turns out that he's got his own agenda mm -hmm. and so then he 86 is the guy that's the way these things will go often you know uh, look at US foreign policy you know like oh well America was conspiring with Saddam until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way these things go. So at, in the movie, and we can close um, on this, but in the movie, the, if there is a conspiracy, it's an organic conspiracy mm -hmm. where everyone, whether they realize it or not, are conspiring to turn the world into a less organic, uh, more edited, synthetic place in which even something so visceral as like sex is reduced to like uh, the, the sex machine and demolition man. You yeah, know, yeah. nothing is real. Everything is mediated through technology, which is created by someone else, which is an inherently emasculating process. Everything is mediated by someone else. And um, yeah, the one person who's kind of uh, crying out against it uh, is, is his buddy, Macy. She's mm -hmm. cool. I like her. So that's, that's well, my it's, it's terrible. You got me going on a whole other thing. I'm thinking about even television at the point in time that this is on TV. 
as we shifted towards the what we, reality TV. What had been happening at this point in time, you know, re, MTV was no longer music videos at this point. It was becoming real world, roll rules, challenge kind of shit, which is a very edited, plastic, real life. Right, <laughs> right. And it's telling you, and especially if you're a young person, it's like, hey, this is what your life is supposed to look like. You know, this is what life is supposed to, this is real life, which gives people who then can reflect on their own home life, say, oh, well, my family's incorrect. What we're doing is wrong because the TV is the norm and what I'm doing is weird. Well, and and, and nothing is more uh, obvious about that. What, what was the statement that they'd make on real world back in the day? When people stop being polite and start being real. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the packaging, the manufacturing, packaging, and sale of real. Uh, that's real reality has been a product for a long time. What is what's the the old Dave Chappelle bit when keeping it real goes wrong? <laughs> I don't think I remember that one. Is you never watched it's from Chappelle's show back in the day. You know, and it's the the moment where like the guy, you know, picks the fight because, you know, I gotta keep it real and then gets his ass beat because what he thought was an easy, you know, victory, the guy's like a tenth level black belt that you don't know about and like beat your ass ten ways past Sunday. It's just the idea of what is real, kind of being very not what is the way most people would actually act. Well, it's also this this concept of real. I've encountered this with people my whole life. This idea of real is really just an excuse to be a, a narcissistic asshole. You know, oh, I'm just real. I'm just telling it like it is. No, you're a prick, actually. You know? <laughs> That's not real. What, what the TV gave you is this like, kind of like angry, visceral, real thing. That's not actually what quote unquote real people do. Real people are constructive. Real people like know how to interact with one another. Um, and it just drives me crazy. This idea that like using honesty and reality isn't really just an excuse to be a piece of shit. And well, I'm sure we all can have stories about that. So what's actually funny about that is that in that setting, what is the end goal of getting people acting like that? It's to push us farther apart from each other. Part of being real is understanding that we have to deal with each other on a daily basis. And so... <laughs> yeah. It's culturally destructive. Yes, absolutely. Have you given any thought to what we're going to be looking at next time? Oh, my God. Um, just, just for the record, I think I had a list of at least 25 movies deep that I can go. And then another one I had I thought of the other day. Okay. I don't know if I sent you a link for, but... Um, what are you thinking? Well, see, my whole pool to pull from is almost like too cliched, like Soylent Green, uh, Demolition Man. Like, yeah, we could probably, I love those movies, but we could probably do something a little different because those are just too easy. So I, I'm curious to, to hear what you've got in mind. Um, honestly, this is something I've never even heard of. So. I can guarantee you've never heard of this next movie. Uh, it's Russian, actually. Oh. Um, has Jeffrey Tambor in it. Okay. Uh, I, I posted, a, I believe, a trailer to it in uh, the School Sucks group that we're in, and it's called Branded. Okay. And it, and it is very specifically, like, we figured the algorithm out. How much is it worth to you to be able to control all the people's minds? And, like, through the movie you're watching, like, people will stop at McDonald's and then they get these, like, bubbly things that like protrude out of their back up into the sky like giant billboards 
Um, the whole movie is about like where technology and understanding of human behavior and branding, like of a corporation, say you know food company, where that kind of all crosses. Mm. And it it's definitely a sci-fi movie, which is an interesting way to approach that. <laughs> okay. I would um, be that. I'm mostly, I'd honestly, I'm pitching it mostly because I really want to watch the movie again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And, and it was, I think, I think it was, came out in like maybe 2012, something like that. And it is, it's a well, well-produced movie. Visually, it's interesting as hell. But it's, it's, it's touching on something I don't know that we've touched on yet. <laughs> All right. I'd be into that. And uh, I did remember there was one that I wanted to do. So maybe we can do that after uh, you said it's called Branded. Yes. Okay. Um, Pi. P-I. Um, like I think that came up night. on my list. I never actually watched that. Okay. That would be a good one to do. Uh, I, I don't really even remember it all that well, but it's definitely like a, tech kind of like computers getting into the mind of man kind of movie and i think that it would be a fu- I, I just remember like thinking when i saw it years ago i should watch this again sometime mm-hmm. uh, more attentively so uh maybe we could do that one after branded all right let me see here you said pi yes pi uh it must have come out in like 90 90- Live or something, I want to say. I don't know specifically, but is it pi? Is it like capital P, lowercase i? Yeah, or, yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, it's, yeah, I'll look that one up too. Is, there's one of the actors is like very recognizable. Um, he's in all kinds of stuff, he's in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the old wheelchair bell ringing guy in Breaking Bad. He's in nice. that movie, and, yeah. So, okay, it sounds like we've got a little bit of a schedule as to what we can what we can do uh so and just for the record uh, i'm working on setting it up we have uh, the dystopian society which is you know specifically um all i'm asking if people you want to give me your email i'll have eventually have a link for you uh, i have a separate feed which has we'll have all the bonus content don't to pay for it nothing like that just uh make it so that we can contact you about stuff in the future because well, let's be honest. I don't know how long we'll be able to continue having these conversations. We were we were kicked off of uh, what do you call it? Bitshoot, which blows my mind. Like all the crazy shit that goes on there, and we got kicked off of Bitshoot. But we we are definitely on uh, what do you call it? Uh, Rumble. We're on Odyssey. You can watch the video versions of us there and there. We are on YouTube. I haven't had any issues with us on YouTube yet. Um. But we actually, like you said, I do have a separate feed that if you send me your email address, I will get you the feed. You can put in your RSS downloader and listen to us any podcatcher that does uh, RSS. Make sure you do it. We've already got some bonus stuff. I mean, and, oh, and we, we still need to have episode three on this circle because right. <laughs> I'm curious about all that now. Yes. So, so. We're, we're doing that for real. It's not just uh, hot air. There's already bonus content and there'll be more. Um yeah, we should do it. We should schedule a bonus show here soon. Absolutely. So, all right, folks. Uh, thanks for coming in. You know, uh, keep uh, one eye over your shoulder and one on the screen. Hell yeah. All right. Until next time.
I'm sorry, 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 I'